So it's all about to accomplish that. It's about preventing the diseases um, altogether with vaccine programs and and management and environmental controls and, and everything like that, rather than just putting out fires and diseases when they arise. A whole new era of communication in the Canadian swine industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the Canadian and global swine industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Our nutrition group includes four companies, Nutrition Athena, Shakespeare Mill, Farmhouse, and Nutrition Partners, which serve swine producers all across Canada. AX3 Digest is a highly digestible source of protein with a low level of potassium, giving young animals a healthy start. Swine Veterinary Partners comprises four well-established clinics across Canada, Precision Veterinary Services, Premier SHP, Demeter Ontario, and Demeter Quebec. Welcome to the Swinet Podcast Show Canada, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the Canadian and global swine industry. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the Swinet Canada podcast. And with me today, I have Dr. Kurt Projas, I hope I got that right, who is a veterinarian and partner at Precision Veterinary Services. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so Kurt, just because some of our listeners might, might, might not be familiar with who you are, uh, I'll just ask you to kind of introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your journey so far. Okay. Yes. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I like to start by saying I grew up on a pig farm um, in kind of northwest Alberta, and my dad poisoned my mind, so now I've stayed into the swine industry and, and, and loving it. So I uh, graduated from um, Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatoon in 2010 and um, jumped right into swine medicine with uh, swine health professionals in Manitoba. So I spent a couple of years there kind of got thrown into a lot of stuff and seen a lot of pigs and a lot of diseases and and it was fantastic and great mentorship from those guys and then I came to Alberta um, to be closer to both my wife's and my family and uh, worked with um, um, I guess it was now now it's prairie livestock veterinarians but it used to be prairie swine health for two years there and then I went to innovative veterinary services for about four and a half years in Red Deer still and then in 2019, started Precision Vet Services um, with my partners and, and have been really lucky and been kind of here ever since. And um, yeah, kind of look, my, my area, I guess, is uh, central and northern Alberta. And I have a couple clients in northern BC as well. But uh, yeah, kind of, I always joke with Cordell, my partner, that uh, I'm Highway 1 North. So uh it's quite a large uh, territory that I have. That, that's pretty big. Yeah. That's <laughs> almost yeah. all of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if I would talk about it as being poisoned your mind. I think the difference is a lot of us had to like get into swine by accident. So you just got in right away and you know, you didn't have to go through realizing the error of your ways trying to go somewhere else first, <laughs> you know? So I think, you know, that, that you know, that's good. Obviously, you know, you kind of, 
a lot of experience in the area. Uh, so I think this will be a good discussion about today's topic, which you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, being that optimizing production and performance with preventive medicine, which I think is probably one of your major roles in this. Hopefully you're not always reacting to stuff that's going on, right? So cool. I guess we'll just uh, start off by like what you mean when you're talking about like preventive medicine and how that can, you know, help optimize. Yeah, so... My goal in life is that um, the, I guess old old med- old medicine, old veterinary medicine was the worst day for the farmer is the best day for the veterinarian, right? They they uh, and, and my goal in life is the best day for the the producer or the farmer is the best day for the veterinarian. So so it's all about to accomplish that. It's about preventing the diseases um, altogether with vaccine programs and and management and environmental controls and and everything like that, rather than just putting out fires and diseases when they arise. So that's really been the, the primary focus is, um, yeah, understanding the whole picture of health and uh, and coming together to kind of prevent diseases um, through vaccine protocols and, um, yeah, production records and understanding where their kind of strengths and weaknesses are and opportunities and, and um, yeah, building that all together ultimately. Yeah. So I, I was going to ask, you know, like, well, what kind of things would you look for? You've, you've mentioned some of them. So I guess I'll, I'll push a little bit more for more information on like where, where you see or what the different aspects are and how like you approach those and how they are incorporated all into making sure that, you know, things are going well and that you are going to, like you said, prevent those outbreaks. Yeah. So I think first step that I find uh, is critical is actually going on farm and, and kind of understanding the whole business, really the business and the flow of how pigs work, like where the, cause every farm is different and every farm has different kind of constraints and bottlenecks. And so first of all, going to the farm, seeing the pigs for myself, understanding those flows, um, understanding the different health challenges ultimately within each kind of component of their farm. Um, and, and really yeah, building that knowledge on the health, of each farm, um, then I can, from there, I can kind of, once I understand the health and the challenges and the opportunities, then I can go in and develop kind of sound protocols to sort of limit the impact of those different areas. So for example, um, let's say they have had erysipelas outbreaks in their finisher or they're seeing erysipelas on their kill sheet and, um, and, and maybe they've been vaccinated in the past with one product and, and, but they're still seeing that. So then we would review that whole process, how they're doing it, and maybe come up with a new vaccine protocol, um, both on the sow side and on the piglet side, to kind of optimize that immunity and prevent those kind of costly erysipelas outbreaks that would normally happen in a late finisher. Um, so that would be kind of one area I would say that is just really, I think the advantage that I have as a kind of an independent veterinarian is um, I can look at every individual farm and kind of customized protocols that op- that suits their needs best. So rather than just kind of have a blanket protocol that just apply that to everybody, no, we go in and look at, okay, some farms say, oh, I only can do one dose program. I'm not going to do a second dose. No matter what you tell me, Kurt, it's going to be one dose. So I say, okay, so let's do the best we can with this one dose vaccine protocol. Or if other farms, they can say, yeah, we'll do two dose if, the, if you think that makes sense. And we'll go in and... Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of, you know, with different vaccines, kind of optimize with 
those two dose program and get the most out of that, that protocol. So, um, yeah, that's kind of the starting point is first understanding the health, then understanding where we need for vaccines. Of course, there's sometimes we would use, um, uh, strategic medicine as well, antibiotics. So if we know predictably, we're going to see some issues in piglets, let's say a week after weaning, well, we can go in there at, let's say three or four days after weaning and, and, and water medicate kind of in a strategic timing so that rather than having pigs die and get sick on a weekly basis, we can prevent that with a really focused, targeted, short-term antibiotic treatment. And, um, and then it's much cheaper at that age than dealing with all the side effects and costs of treatments and everything else later. So those are a couple of examples. Yeah. So I, I, I guess maybe, you know, outside of the, the typical vaccine and, you know, the, the actual medication and everything that you would incorporate, like how much do you uh, maybe evaluate or work on biosecurity protocols or nutrition? Because I know vets like to dabble in nutrition. <laughs> maybe you don't. <laughs> you know, we talked about it briefly a couple of weeks ago. You know, what's, what's going on with the nutrition? We'll, we'll blame the nutritionist for it. We'll blame yeah. the vets, right? Like, so how much, yeah. you know, how much are you involved in, in those other things and, and where, you know, would you make recommendations or, or see, you know, issues that generally pop up? Yeah, no, for sure. So the, the great aspect of being in Alberta, I would say, in, in central and northern Alberta is we're very lucky with regards to a lot of diseases. So we, uh, yeah, a lot of my day is spent on production, actually, production and biosecurity and and I try not to do the nutrition. I, I try to bring that, pass that off to the nutritionists, but inevitably our worlds collide on a regular basis. And nutrition, of course, affects health and health affects nutrition. So, so we're, yeah, like, like you said, I, I like to blame the nutritionists. If something's wrong, it's the, it's the, the feed's fault. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, but in, in, in seriousness, I would say that, yeah, when, when something's going on, I'll definitely try to bring the nutritionists involved and collaborate and, and kind of get their perspective as to what could be could be contributing. Um, and so that's definitely um, a part of my job for sure. Um, on, on biosecurity, definitely that's been a huge part of my job over the years. There's obviously the external biosecurity, preventing the uh, diseases from entering the farm. I think as an industry in Western Canada, I would say we've done a great job on that for many, many years. There's been lots of programs from the governments, from the Canadian government and the, and the provincial governments and the provincial pork boards to kind of support that. Um, so we've done, yeah, that's the number one, obviously. Preventing the disease from entering the farm is top of mind. So if we don't have PERS, we don't have MICO, well, that's that's the game changer. That's the, the, the true preventative medicine, right? So, so yeah, we focus on that on a, on a, every time I'm going to farms, I'm having those conversations and making sure they're doing the best they can there. And then the other side that maybe we've talked a little bit less on, but we're starting to do more of is internal biosecurity, which is kind of when you have a disease in your farm, not spreading it week over week over week to the next pigs and just kind of limiting it to as few pigs as possible or one area of the barn and not uh, kind of spreading it around. And so that I've definitely become more and more involved with and, and, um, and learn quite a few things over the years, but um, yeah, really separating different areas of the barn um, physically, like with the, like people even ideally, or um, at least the, the, the equipment that they're using that goes a long ways in, in minimizing disease transmission kind of from one area to the next. Yeah. It's funny because even 
when when I see biosecurity, that's what I'm thinking is outside the barn and preventing things from getting in. And I think, you know, a lot of times we can just figure, okay, now that we're in, we're okay. <laughs> and you don't have to worry about it, right? And yeah, so I was going to say like, well, what aspects would you look at? Because, you know, I think the first thing that comes to mind is like all in, all out, right? You're not going to have a continuous flow type situation. But like you said, it's it's equipment and people as well. So like I, so the other thing I want to ask with bi- maybe biosecurity and we can also then maybe um, move to other aspects as well. Like what is something in your experience then do you see like this always seems to come up as an issue that maybe they, the producers or whatever don't generally do very well. And what's something that, you know, that they seem to all get and, and, and implement really well. On the biosecurity side? Okay, yeah. No, we'll start with the biosecurity. I mean, then we can go to the other protocols as well, just because we're on that right now, yeah. Yeah, sure. I would say on uh, biosecurity, we've talked quite a lot about um, the entrances, like the entrances into barns. So we, so we have like a bench barrier, typically like a Danish entry, we call it, where there's a bench barrier where they have to take your shoes off on the outside and then kind of change your clothes, all that kind of one-way flow. I would say... In general, they've done well on that. Um, Many, many farms have implemented that um, and really understand the people side of things. Um, And and I would also say the trucking industry is the other one where I think we really stepped up the biosecurity and have done a lot better job of consistent washing and disinfecting and and drying and and minimizing that risk to the farms that way. Something that they don't do as well, like, so that's the main entrance. I would say the the common error or or a common, it's just human nature. Like if they have to go and bang a bin or something like that, if the feed's not running, they go out a side door or whatever (laughs) and will walk, use their barn boots and walk to that bin and bang on that bin, right? So they, they do all this awesome stuff in the main entrance and then they just walk outside with their boots and bang on a bin. So it's, uh, it's, uh, um, I think that's a, not, it's less common, I would say now, but it still happens. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm guilty of that. But when I did it, I was a student at the research station in Guelph, right? So I can't, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I will, we'll put that down to training. <laughs> but yeah, now I look at it and be like, oh yeah, that, that could be a potential problem. You're all clean and you step out, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so again, then, you know, same question when it comes to the other health aspects and stuff that you kind of started with, you know, maybe it's uh, with the antibiotics or uh, uh, vaccines or something along those lines, you know, something that they tend to do really well and something that, you know, may be improved. Huh, so good questions. Um, so I find that sort of once as because like, I my, my approach is always um, try to be very practical with my approach. And not try to, because even with biosecurity, for example, I can make the perfect biosecurity program protocol, but if no one's going to do it, well, then it becomes very useless. So I, I try to balance, okay, ideal scenario with, okay, who's what's actually going to get done every day? And so um, same thing with vaccination protocols or whatever protocol I'm trying to, or medication protocols, anything. I try to make it very simple for the producer so that yeah, that actually can do this on a daily basis. And whoever that staff member might be, they can just grab some protocol and, oh, that's really obvious, run with it. So I think once once protocols are built with them, I think they're usually pretty good, pretty good to, to especially vaccine protocols, they can they follow it quite consistently. Um, 
medication protocols, I would say they definitely tend to slide a little more. Um, and probably that's just like my goal in life would be build a protocol with them. We're all on the same page. But if something doesn't work, let me know and then we'll adjust, right? Um, because I need to know if it's not working because I'm it's all in theory, right? In real life, things don't always work as they do on paper. So where what I would say people can do is they'll see it not working. And rather than have that conversation with me, they'll try another product that they have on their shelf and, and, and then they'll try that and maybe that one works and that's good. Um, but we don't know, I don't know that it's not working. So I'm thinking my protocol is working great and really they're, it's not, and they're using something different. So, um, so that sometimes can lead to, um, more issues. Like if they don't find the right product, then they can have more sound mortality or whatever else, right? That I could be helping them with and, and kind of preventing. Communication pops up again. You know, people need yeah. to talk more so that you know. You know, I, I think that's a good uh, maybe segue into the next question that I had because you talked about, uh, well, you mentioned that you can treat every farm individually and stuff like that, but obviously every experience that you have on the different farms will lead to, you know, your ability and, and inform your decision in other places as well. Right. So I'm just wondering, you know, how, what, what role that plays. And you've also mentioned, you know, the, the, uh, industry partners and collaboration and everything and how much, you know, that all kind of interplays into, to making sure that you're, you're giving the best protocol that you think is is available to, to your clients. Yeah. So to me, it's all about collaboration. So I, I, again, I, my bet, my best day is when the producers has a bigger, great day. The nutritionist has a great day. The genetics company has a great day and I have a great day, right. Or, and whoever else is involved. Right. Um, so it, I've seen definitely where, where you can collaborate with kind of all those different branches all together. And, uh, at the same time, it's really powerful because I go into a farm, I, I see something and I'm like, okay, well, there could be a feed component here or there could be a genetic component here. And and so then, yeah, they can go talk to those different industry partners and and that works, but nothing beats if you're all in the same room together. You can't, you can point fingers at each other and talk through it much more efficiently and more effectively <laughs> if you're actually right there. So, and they're like, no, that's not really my problem. It's more yours, Kurt. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, so anyways, it, I find... Um, yeah, no question. It's all about collaborations. Get the producers' mind, producers' perspective, get the nutritionist perspective, and and kind of we all work together to kind of solve the problem and kind of help the producer be successful ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a little bit about that at the the vet conference that you know I that we were both speaking at and everything, and the majority yeah. of the conference was case studies, and I'm just like, this is not my milieu. I'm not used to this type thing, but you know, I can see that it would be beneficial to talk about you know, what, what's going on. And, you know, even then saying, we don't have a solution to this one yet. Does anybody in the audience know what's going on? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was my call, presentation. Call me yes. out and be like, Oh, is it the mycotoxins? Like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Like, and that's where, yeah, even collaboration with colleagues and trying to get their input and ideas and yeah, ask, ask other people there, take on it from the same situation. Yeah. We do that all the time. Like Cordell and I talk all the time about different cases and even with our partners across Canada. It's, it's, you know, pushed more in the scientific community as well. You know, we should be collaborating with other researchers. So obviously the more communication we have, the the better. Um, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, um, 
the the antimicrobial use if you see something coming up or or you know and i'm just wondering because you proposed it as a potential topic too right the whole uh uh, antimicrobial use and resistance and you know kind of reducing that and everything and just you know maybe um talk about that concept a little bit you know what efforts you're making to do it and i know you're you said you're working on like a a benchmarking or some kind of you know project with alberta pork uh, along these lines so maybe just talk about this a little bit more yeah so so obviously the world the world has put in a lot of pressure on on everybody but especially i think food animal producers on reducing antimicrobial usage and 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 of course because of antimicrobial resistance and and it's and its potential risk for humans and, uh, and what that negative impact could have on them, um, which is real, which is definitely real. So what we've done um, at, with Alberta Pork, it was, I guess, that project ended in 2022, but it was kind of looking at the usage on farms for the previous five years, or I guess it was 20, 2017 to 2020, 2016 to 2020. Uh, we looked at the animal microbial usage just for purchases, so we didn't look at exact treatment on the farm, but, but overall purchases of antimicrobials and uh, kind of, we did a pilot project with them and um, really to understand, first of all, like what, how many, how much antibiotics do we use, right? There's quite a big difference between what somebody uses in Manitoba versus Quebec versus Ontario versus Alberta with different challenges, different kind of ways of doing things. And so, um, yeah, we did kind of a pilot project with precision in Alberta pork and, um, it was really eye-opening to see this huge variation from farm to farm um, on antimicrobial usage. And, um, and this is of course, partially related to the disease challenges that each farm faces, but it's also can be related to just how they manage their system and, and how open or closed they are to using antibiotics. And so I think the future is we're going to, is less and less antibiotics, of course. And that's always my approach when I'm going on farm is, okay, we, we use as much as we need to, but as little as possible. So we try to remove and remove, remove as much as we possibly can. But sometimes welfare can be impacted if you if you truly remove all antibiotics. So um, so that's where you kind of put them in, in, in a really strategic place to, to limit that. But um, some of the kind of the key findings, there are quite a few, but kind of what some of the key findings were um, any feed usage in the finisher grow finish section results in huge amounts of usage because every pig is getting it and they're getting it every day in the feed for weeks, right? So, so anytime you can pull out antibiotics out of the feed, it's huge amount of reduction and a huge amount of cost savings. Um, so doing strategic something in the water for five days versus four weeks straight in the feed, massive differences. Um, other areas I would say is, um, many of the, many injections, like sows, it's mostly injectable, I would say. Um, but even in the nursery, again, feed is the number one driver there. Um, but also water medication, but ultimately the goal of the project was to first figure out, okay, where are you using it and why? And then is there ways we can maybe do something differently and use less in this area or more strategically and that type of thing. But not not we're not it's not like a, 
a scorecard or something like that. Oh, you fail and you pass. Um, because there's lots of different reasons for why people have to use antibiotics. But I think as an industry, we constantly be have, have to be watching um, and, and trying to do better because if we don't do our part, which I think we are, if we don't though, then, then we're going to get regulation put on us. And, and that's going to be a lot different than just us self-regulating. Yeah, it's, it's almost, you know, by, by drawing attention to it with the, the ban on, you know, antimicrobial growth promotants, you right. know, has kind of kind of put a target on this to be like, well, what what are we actually using and what is the impact, right? Which, you know, I think has surprised a lot of people <laughs> when, it, when it comes to that, right? But it, unless you know, like you said, unless you have the benchmark and know where you are, you have no idea if you're making improvements or not. And, and I, it, I think also, you know, identifying the areas that are potentially targets that we could reduce this. Yeah, yeah. I know, I, I know for nutrition, you know, it's been one of those things where I, and I've been telling people, you know, I, I think, the, the antibiotics has allowed the nutritionists to be lazy uh, for a lot of it, right? Because it's like we didn't have to worry about gut development, immune development, and all this other stuff because we took care of that with the antibiotics. And now right. we're having to be like, well, how do we actually feed these pigs without without those in there, right? Yeah, no, totally. And and same thing, like, like there's definitely some diseases that we can vaccinate for, right? So you can vaccinate for a disease rather than having to treat them after the fact, right? So you're preventing the disease again at a much lower cost than the cost of the disease plus the treatment and the antimicrobial usage on top of that. So I think we've come a long ways on a lot of diseases. We, of course, don't have vaccines for everything, but, um, but yeah, you need kind of the, the, the bigger approach, like you said, with, with nutrition as well. And, uh, and yeah, bringing it all together. Yeah. So uh, I have one more question before we get to your take home. Uh, this is a little bit, separate from the rest of the topic. So I apologize if I'm catching you off guard, but one of the things that has come up is, you know, the lack of people that are going into swine in general and the lack of people that are going into swine medicine, you know, and where do you see your role in in promoting this? Or what would you say to those people that, you know, might be considering going somewhere else and try to get them, you know, to consider pigs? You, you were, you were poisoned by, by your dad to get into it, right? Like, so, but how those people that don't have that, where, what would you say to them? Yeah, it's tough. Like the industry is, uh, for biosecurity reasons, is very closed off to outsiders, right? It, there's very little access to barns nowadays um, as, as a general population, right? So, so people don't, don't, don't get exposure. And if you don't know it, you don't know, well, you're not going to get into it. Right. So, so yeah. I think, um, yeah, no, you're, you're right. I was lucky. I literally, before I could walk, I was in the pig barn. So I, I knew pigs very, very well. And I know pigs well. Um, so my, I see my role is, um, supporting anybody that's interested and, uh, and giving them access and, and at least showing them what the world can be like. I think it's a f- great world. And, um, I really enjoy my, what I do and, and, and food animal medicine to me, we're still a great place to raise pigs and, and a great safe food source. And so I think it starts, I think it starts before me though. I think it starts in, in earlier, well, in high, even growing up in schools, they need like some kind of exposure ideally, but even then they like can college and stuff to get some more exposure to the Prairie Swine Center or, or U of A farm or whatever that looks like. Um, to at least see what a pig is and, and what the what the world's all about. Um, 
And then on the vet side, so that on the business side, like on the pig business side, like I would say part of it is our world has been complaining a lot about losing money and all that kind of stuff, which it's not an easy world. I'm not denying that. It's not for the faint of heart, but I, I think, I think they're doing better than maybe they let off. And so if, if for young farmers, when they look at the green guys that are always saying, Oh, I'm making money every year. And the pork guys that are saying, Oh, I'm losing money every year. Well, if I was a young guy, why would I go into the pork industry rather than <laughs> going to the green industry? Right. So I think we need to change that conversation a little bit yeah. to try to show that it's more, a little more complex than what meets the eye. Um, and then um, on the vet side, I think, yeah, I think it just goes back to exposure and, and for us to make sure they at early enough along in their vet career or vet student career, I should say that they've seen what a pig is and, and been on farms and see what ride along with vets to understand what we do every day. And, and I think that'll actually, I think we'll still have some, and there are some still coming through. It's just a yeah. matter of getting them early enough and, uh, and yeah, stealing them before they go somewhere else in the food yeah. animal world. Yeah. yeah no, it, you know, we, we're our work. We do our part. We're, I mean, we are a research organizations. So if we're not going to bring in anybody, then you know who is. Um, but we've definitely seen an uptick in the interest um, by just have, allowing the students to come in. Even the undergrads now, you know, the class comes in and, and talks about it. But I, I agree with you. I think we need to be a little bit more positive when it comes to talking about the industry. I was actually asked recently, you know. Well, would you would you teach optimism you know with <laughs> with the with pork and i'm like well yeah why not you know there's all kinds of opportunity and we're in a bad time kind of right now you know but we know things will get better <laughs> you know yeah. and, and it's always you know producers always rise to the challenge so yeah i would agree with agree with you there um okay so before we get to our final three questions i'm just going to ask you know like for our listeners today, what would be like one or two take home messages that you want them to get from, from our discussion? Uh, I think take home is um, work closely with your veterinarian um, to really ensure they understand the health on their farm and, and really build protocols and uh, treatment protocols, vaccine protocols um, kind of to really focus on their needs, on your needs as a producer. Um, that, that to me is the number one, I would say is, yeah, work with your veterinarian. And um, yeah, I think on the AMU side, I would say there's lots of opportunities. There's lots of variation also farm by farm. But I would say also like Alberta Pork is having actually another project here right now for the next few years. So join that program uh, if you're in Alberta and, um, and yeah, learn about what you're using. First of all, learn about what you're using and then then you can kind of focus on uh, strategies to use less or more strategically. Yeah, no, that's great. It's time for our famous three. Okay, so now we're at the our, our big three questions that we ask all our all our guests. <laughs> uh, so our first one is, you know, what would be your favorite uh, or your go-to swine-related resource? So I'm, I'm a big fan of interacting with my colleagues rather than reading a textbook. I'm not one to love reading textbooks or anything like that. So I, I, my big resource would be actually my colleagues and partners within uh, kind of our swine vet partners group. Um, 
yeah, if we have any issues or anything like, or any, any questions that I'd have, I would reach out to them and, and kind of interact with them and kind of get their experience and, and inputs first before I would kind of search for myself, I guess, try to steal their, their knowledge first before digging deeper otherwise. Yeah. Uh, so, and then our, our next question then is, um, what would be a book outside of egg or outside of pigs, you know, that you would recommend that people look up? So it's a book I read a long time ago, but I, I still think about it. So the, the, it's called The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Paulo Coelho. Anyways, it's, uh, it's uh, a story that uh, looking at a kind of a young guy that has to travel across Egypt kind of to figure out, to find a treasure ultimately. And uh, I know just, I think it's, um, it's a book that kind of teaches you to kind of believe in yourself and, uh, and kind of follow your dreams and um, kind of when things go wrong, kind of get it back up and kind of never give up. And, and that the, the journey can be sometimes just as important or as the, the outcome itself. So for me, I'm definitely a, kind of results driven person. So to remind myself that the journey can, can sometimes be equally as important as the outcomes I thought was really good. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. I have to add it to the list. So getting to be a very long list, but <laughs> it's on there. Um, so then our final question, and you know, for a lot of people I've asked on the, the, for, with respect to leaders, but maybe you are more in a, in a position to talk about successful swine producers and what is a characteristic, you know, that you think they all share that makes them particularly successful? Yeah. So I think, uh, to make a successful swine producer, I think they need to be able to listen to, to sort of people that they're hiring for advice ultimately and the people around them, their staff included. Um, they need to listen to what, what's going on they need to be able to adapt to the whatever (laughs) challenges are facing them and um and they need to be able to implement i think they need to be able to if something needs to be changed or or needs to happen they need to make it happen i think that's critical they can't they need to follow through and then and in my mind they really need to be willing to change our industry if you're if you're status quo is your goal you're going to be falling behind in a hurry so mm-hmm. you the, the top producers are constantly willing to change and try new things and uh yeah think outside the box to try to keep pushing themselves forward and improving yeah no i i i agree with you on that one i use the word just be the disruptor but i don't think people generally like that one but it's the same the same type of thing right if you think that what what has been done in the past is going to continue to work it's like well you're, you're going to be stagnant just like that right so no i yeah. think it's great great uh great information so that brings us to the end uh, the end of our podcast so I'll, I'll thank you again for coming on great topic and, and a lot of good information and uh well i'm sure we'll we'll have you on again in the future sounds good thanks so much dan Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. 
With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.